We are doing a topical study of the book of Proverbs that I've entitled Ancient Landmarks Along the Path of Life. And we've come to um, looking at wisdom. Proverbs 9.1 tells us that wisdom has built her house and she's built it on seven pillars. And um, for me, just comparing Bible with Bible, Scripture with Scripture, I think you can find those seven pillars right here in James chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. So that's what I've been going off of. And so we've been going through these seven different pillars, and we're now on pillar number six. Uh, Just as a matter of review, uh, we saw that the first uh, pillar was uh, purity, and that is the wisdom of uh, purity of doctrine. Purity of doctrine. If you look through the book of Proverbs, the father is consistently exhorting his son, watch out for what particular person? The strange woman, right? Watch out for the strange woman. And the strange woman, of course, is a type of that false mystery religion that we see in, um, where is it, Revelation 17, about the the great harlot, uh, the mystery Babylon religion. Uh, The second is uh, peaceable. Where impure doctrine resides, there is often conflict and strife and division. But where right doctrine resides, there's often uh, unity in the body, uh, faith and peace in the body of Christ. So there's the wisdom of uh, peaceable. Uh, The third was gentle, the pillar of gentle. This this addresses the persuasiveness of the sound, uh, of the wisdom found in sound doctrine. It brings... uh, There's a gentle persuasion about it. It makes sense, that type of thing. Uh, The fourth was to be easy to to, uh, be entreated, and this is the wisdom that's found in sound doctrine that appeals to those who love God's word, who love God, who and esteem it precious. So when they hear this sound doctrine, they want to hear more. They want to learn more. They want to hear all about it. Then we saw that the fifth uh, pillar was full of mercy and good fruits. So um, established upon sound doctrine, this is that divine combo uh, where wisdom is showing mercy and truth to others. Uh, mercy and truth to others. And I use the example of uh, life issues. It's, that's a ministry that does both. It shows mercy to those folks who are struggling with these things in their lives, but at the same time, not only is it showing mercy, but it's giving them the truth that's to help them uh, get through these these things in their life. So that's, that's the wisdom of uh, mercy and truth established upon sound doctrine. Now what we're going to come to today is number six where uh, wisdom wisdom without partiality wisdom without uh, partiality uh, the wisdom in this is that it uh, helps us to avoid um, unfair judgment uh, merely based upon appearance or maybe one's personal bias or perhaps because of flattery or uh, bribery, something like that. You know, it's 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 wise to have um, uh, judgment without partiality. Okay, uh, Jesus in John seven twenty four says, "Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment." Judge righteous judgment. I think we all understand 
what it means to show favorites, you know, favoritism, uh, partiality. Um, this, uh, this, is a, this is a tendency uh, where you, um, you know, show favoritism to, to a person or to a group and um, you treat them or the group better or differently from other groups or people. Uh, it's showing favoritism, uh, being partial to somebody, uh, you know, treating them differently. On uh, the job site where I used to work, we had a particular supervisor that was was just terrible about showing favoritism, being partial to her, uh, their pets on the team. And her, this uh, supervisor's pets, you know, knew this. And so what they would do is they would fawn over this supervisor and they would, you know, flatter this supervisor uh, because they could manipulate this supervisor and they could, you know, change this supervisor's opinion concerning other team members. So it was, it was a, not a very good situation. And these pet employees, they get the best places on the line. They get the, the special favors, that type of things. When it came around for times for raises, it seemed like this little group of, her, of this person's pets always seemed to get the bigger raises. Well, how do you think that affected the rest of the team? Yeah, it didn't in a negative way. In a very negative way, there was there was this resentment from other team members toward this person's pets. There was resentment toward the supervisor. And here's the irony of this thing. This supervisor could never understand why her team could never meet quota. Huh, I wonder why. You know, I wonder why. Uh, another story, this is from my childhood. Again, these are just illustrations. I know you guys could probably relate to these or have your own stories. But I remember uh, my brother and I, we lived in a particular neighborhood on an air base. And there were two brothers on, this, on the street that we lived on. Uh, they, you know, they liked to get the other kids on the street, get them together. You know, to play games, whatever you, know, whatever you, you do when you're eight years old. But whenever my brother and I would show up to join the gang, right, these two brothers would pull everybody else away, and they'd have this little um, debate, this little concourse. And so what they would do is they would um, and convince the others, let's not let Jeff and, and Tony play. And so this went on for quite some time till finally the, these brothers' father was transferred to another air base. And then all of a sudden, all the other neighborhood kids started to want to come and play with Jeff and Tony. So one day I asked one of the kids, I said, what, what in the world was that all about? What was going on? Well, come to find out, uh, my brother and I, uh, we would go down the street and we would play uh, with the kids of a black family. Okay, and these two boys were raised by their parents to make a distinction because of skin color. They were teaching their boys how to hate, be partial. And because my brother and I didn't have any qualms going down and playing with these kids, they didn't want any part of us. Or they didn't want the buddies that they had any, to have any part with us. 
So partiality, right? So a lot of times, partiality and prejudice go hand in glove, doesn't it? It really does. It goes hand in glove. Now, you would kind of expect favoritism on the job, and you'd probably expect favoritism in the neighborhood, but is there favoritism in the church? Is there partiality that goes on in the church? Say it ain't so. Yes. It goes on, doesn't it? Turn to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. Yes, unfortunately, sadly, um, there is partiality in the church. It, It happens. I mean, we're human beings. We're human beings. Look here at James chapter 2, starting in verse 1. What does he say here? He says, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. Hey, if you know Jesus as your Savior, don't fall into this stuff. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there comes in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves, and are become judges of evil thoughts? This seems pretty easy to understand, isn't it? One individual comes in, and they're dressed to the nines, very impressive, very sharp. And the people naturally gravitate to this man. Another man comes in, probably a a homeless person, or probably somebody who's, you know, poor. And what do they do with this guy? (laughs) They put him in the back of the church. Out of sight, out of mind. Out of sight, out of mind. You know, it shouldn't happen in a church, but it does. It does happen in the church. Sometimes we Christians can behave so snooty. We can. Sometimes we can behave so um, biased against others. We form these little cliques within the body of Christ that shouldn't be there. But yet they're there. If you're not a part of my group... Stay away. Stay away. That shouldn't be there, but unfortunately it is there. Is that Christ-like? No, it isn't, is it? It really isn't. Uh, Sometimes you'll see this. A young professional and his family will come into a church. You know, he's a sharp-looking young person. He's got good-looking wife, good-looking kids. Naturally, the leadership gravitates to this person because they're making a superficial judgment. Hey, this this person could be a real asset to the church. You know, we need to groom this person. We need to, you know, get this person involved. I've seen it happen. But you know what I've seen happen more often than not? A family will come into the church. You know, the husband's a blue-collar worker. He's not that sharp of a dresser. His his wife, you know, she, you know, she doesn't wear the latest fashions. You know, the kids are kids. You can tell they're rough and tumble kids. You know that type of thing. But you know what I've noticed more often than not, in comparison to the sharp family and in comparison to the everyday family, it's usually the everyday family that choose, that becomes the best servants and ministers in the church. So you just can't, you got to judge righteous judgment. You can't judge by, by appearance. You can't do that. But, but people do. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote 
in uh, Romans 12, 16. He says, be of the same mind one toward another. A short version, don't be partial. Don't be partial. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. You know, treat everybody the same. Treat everybody the same. Be not wise in your own conceits. I don't know how many times I have been fooled because of appearance. I see somebody that I think, boy, they've got something, they've got really got something on the ball, and come to find out, they're knuckleheads. I don't know how many times I've been fooled. It's like that old adage says, you can't judge a book by its cover, but yet we do it all the time. We do it all the time. I knew a church. Um, had a friend that was in this church. I knew a church who had a man come into the church, and he was a he was a man. He was a, what do you call him? A financier. He was somebody who was really good with money. And so this man wasn't in the church more than a week. And for some reason, in the pastor and the leadership's church mind, they thought, what a good idea. Let's bring this man in and let's turn the finances of the church over to this man. And then about, so he, that's what, so he was there for about two, three weeks. And then he disappears. Guess what else disappeared? The money of the church. The money of the church. Don't do that. It's not smart. Judge not according to appearance. What does is, what is 1 Thessalonians 5.21 say? Prove all things. See, the leadership of that church didn't do its due diligence, did it? Prove all things. Okay, so what about families? Do you think partiality, favoritism is seen in families? It is. Sure it is. I mean, consider the story of Joseph and his brethren. Right? Consider that story. What seeds were sown in that family? Seeds of favoritism. Let me read you uh, Genesis 37, 3 through 4. Now Israel, which is Jacob, loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age and he made him a coat of many colors. Verse 4. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. Boy, if that isn't played out time and time and time again. I mean, what a recipe for disaster. On the one hand, you, we could probably sympathize with Jacob a little bit. I mean, Joseph is the child of his old age, of his beloved wife, Rachel, who has passed away. All right, so maybe, maybe we can kind of see why Jacob would, would have this. But this favoritism of Jacob's goes way back. These seeds of partiality and favoritism have been sown in the ground for a long time. When Jacob was returning from serving his father-in-law Laban, 
That's where he picked up Leah and Rachel. And he was headed back toward the promised land, back to where his brother Esau was. He was a little nervous about Esau's reception of him, wasn't he? He wasn't quite sure how Esau was going to receive Jacob. You know, is he going to come and wipe us out? I mean, he wasn't sure. So you know what he does? Genesis 31, or 33, chapter, uh, chapter 33, verse 1, he says, And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau came, and with him 400 men. Okay, so what is he thinking? Uh-oh, trouble. So what does he do? He divides the children unto Leah and unto Rachel and unto the two handmaids, and he put the handmaids and their children foremost, and Leah uh, and her children after, and Rachel and Joseph hindermost. Hmm. Now, how do you imagine the other boys felt? How do you imagine the other boys felt about this? They were put up front in case Esau was ticked off. They would be the ones that would receive the uh, brunt of Esau's wrath, right? Where was Joseph? Yeah, he was in the back. He was in the safest place. He was in the safest place. Of course, we know the story, don't we? What did these 11 brothers do that hated Joseph? They packed him off into slavery. We'll fix him. And then, of course, all sorts of Issues came out of that. You see, favoritism often fosters resentment and bitterness, even in a family. Even in a family. Sometimes when I talk to certain individuals, uh, sometimes what surfaces in the issues that they're having in life is because of this bitterness they have because of mom and dad or brother and sister and you know, something happened and they felt slighted or neglected. You know, Joseph even displayed this propensity of partiality with his two wives, Leah and Rachel. We know the story behind all that, don't we? And because of this partiality, what had happened? It, it created a rivalry between Leah and Rachel for Jacob's attention, didn't it? That's what all the childbearing was all about. It was this rivalry going on between the two sisters of Rachel and Leah. And don't think for a moment that um, the kids weren't watching this. The kids weren't taking note of this. Mom and Dad, your kids are not stupid. They pick up on stuff. I mean, they may not be able to put the pieces together, but subconsciously in their brains, they're picking up on stuff. They're noticing. Somebody else noticed too. Genesis 29:31. And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. You think God was trying to get uh, Jacob's attention about this situation? It even goes deeper. Jacob, right? Um, It goes deeper. What about Isaac, Jacob's dad? Isaac preferred Esau because Esau did pretty good in fixing the veal. Whereas Rachel favored 
Jacob. So those seeds go deep. They go way back. Yes, Ron. I thank you. I got my two R's mixed. Thank you, sir. Yeah, Rebecca and, and, and Jacob. Yeah. But those seeds go deep. They go back. It impacts generations. Generations. Serious. Very serious stuff. So it's not a wise thing to practice, whether it's in a church, a family, whatever it is. Um, causes unrest, causes rivalry, causes resentment. You see, it's, just, it's, it's one of those things that the enemy uses to drive a wedge where that wedge shouldn't be. It happens in marriages, families, churches. Churches. Getting back to churches. 1 Timothy 5.21, Paul wrote to Timothy these words. He says, I charge thee. Alright, is that something that Timothy... Uh, oh, okay, that's just a suggestion. No. A charge. When somebody charges you with something, that's a command. You better, you better do this. He goes on, he says, And I charge thee before God. Who? That's serious. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh my goodness. We're getting deep. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels. Oh, I'm in it now. Serious stuff. He says, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality. Pretty serious. Pretty serious. Uh, 1 Timothy 5.21 I, I probably didn't give the address. So, partiality happens in churches. It's privy to a to a church where the pastor was uh, legalistic and uh, he would um, but the thing this guy he was just kind of he was a contradiction he would um, wink at one member's misdeeds but be quick to pounce on other members that were committing the same thing that he allowed this other to pass on uh, as an example, um, if somebody were to miss a service, whether it was a Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday, whatever, he was quick to get on you about missing that service. But if one of his family members missed the service, not a word was said. Partiality. Partiality. Now, now, how do you think that came across for the rest of the congregation? Yeah, not too good. Not too good. It was a double standard. They recognized a double standard. And it wasn't too good. Another church that I was uh, f- familiar with, a particular pastor on staff, he went about um, culling his favorites from the congregation. He was wooing them, flattering them you know, building them up because he wanted to 
what Paul warned about. He was creating a following for himself within this church. And what he was setting about to do was uh, create a church within the church. Is that a good thing? No, it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. Proverbs 6.14 says, Forwardness is in his heart. He devises mischief continually. He soweth discord. The word forward, that's a hard word to get out. The word forward uh, speaks of someone who purposely, intentionally goes contrary to that which is uh, reasonable or acceptable or commanded. They do it on, on purpose. Now Ephesians 4.3 tells us, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The word endeavoring, what does that mean? That means you do everything you can to ensure unity and peace in the body. Alright, this is something serious. This is something that, that Jesus takes very, very serious. So you would expect a pastor, right, to do that. To maintain that unity, to, gain, to maintain that peace in the body. But yet what this particular pastor was doing, it was he was creating an environment that brought about division and discord and all sorts of problems. And eventually the foolishness of this man's actions caused a very nasty church split, according to my friend. Very nasty. And this was a prominent church in the community, and once that church split took place, it gave the community something to gossip about. Not a good situation. Not a good situation. Do you think pastors are the only ones in church that can show partiality? What about the members? Huh? What about the members? 1 Corinthians uh, 3, verse 3 and 5. Paul writes to this church, he says, For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, another I am of Paulus, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul and who is Apollos but ministers by whom ye believe, even as the Lord gave to every man? Uh, let's see. Uh, Pastor Brian's going to be gone next Sunday. Who's going to be preaching in his place? Oh, so-and-so is. I'm not going to show up because I don't like his preaching. Really? I've been there. I've been there. Again, I recall many years ago hearing account of a church through a friend that there was actually competition within the congregation about two particular pastors. It was kind of like our church. We had we have more than we got the head pastor and so forth and so on. But there was competition among the congregation about two particular pastors. One was a gifted teacher, the other was a gifted leader. And and along those lines they were making this division between Apollo and an Apollos, right? In time what happened was <laughs> Men being men, these, these, these pastors' egos got involved. 
And instead of guys don't do this, they, in a, their own way, were kind of encouraging it. Now let me ask you a question. Is that endeavoring to keep the unity in the body? No. And again, what happened, like it always happens, it will always happen this way. No good will come of it if you exercise wisdom or exercise the wisdom that comes from below and you show partiality. One of these men was forced out of the church and his fans went with him. Not a good situation. Not a good situation. Now let me ask you a question. Now be careful. Do you think Jesus showed favoritism? Do you think Jesus was partial? I would say yes. Okay, good. I've got some saying no, some saying yes. Good, I'm glad. I've read that um, some guys say, yeah, Jesus was partial. He showed partiality. He showed, he showed um, favoritism. Contrary to what James is telling us. So right there to me, that's a red flag. Because God, Jesus, never contradicts his word. Right? So there's got to be something here. There's got to be something here. My question is, okay, did he show favoritism to the 70 that came out of the multitudes that followed him? Did he show partiality to the 12 that he chose out of the 70 that followed him? Did he show partiality to the 3 out of the 12, out of the 70? What's going on here? Yes, ma'am. You took my thunder, hon. That's exactly the point. But le- I mean, didn't he literally took the apostles aside and explained the parables to him? Well, let me, okay, let me, let, let's go through partiality. Okay? Let's go through this partiality. And you guys are asking all the right questions. You're saying the right things. So let's go through this partiality. There's three things we have to understand about favoritism, partiality. The first thing is this. Favoritism is preferential treatment based on worldly values. Based on worldly values. If you three don't settle down back there, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so favoritism is usually preferential treatment based on worldly values. Uh, Matthew 5, 45 through um, 48. Uh, Jesus says that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. Praise God, he's not partial. For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Okay, there's your worldly values. Um, do not even the publicans the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? 
He says, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. So therefore, uh, I love my wife because she loves me, and that's the only reason why I love my wife. That's, right? That's based on worldly values. That's very selfish. Right? I like so-and-so, and I'll talk to so-and-so because so-and-so likes to talk to me. See, that's a worldly value. But I'm not going to talk to so-and-so over there because, you know, he doesn't like me. See, that's a worldly value. And generally, the motive behind such partiality is this. How does this relationship benefit me? What am I going to get out of this relationship for me? That's a worldly value. That's preferential treatment based on a worldly value. But Jesus didn't choose these men because of this worldly value. Well, just because uh, Peter likes me, so I'm going to like Peter. Right? Jesus had a bigger picture in mind, didn't he? He had a bigger picture in mind. He had this, this vision, this mission in mind. And so he didn't choose these men on this worldly value basis. No, he chose these men because he had a grand plan that he was about and to fulfill. Jesus had higher stakes in this thing than worrying if Peter liked him or not. Okay? The second thing about favoritism is preferential treatment is not necessarily the same as favoritism. Right? Preferential treatment is not necessarily the same as favoritism. John... um, the story of John uh, in John chapter 6 after Jesus fed the 5,000 and these folks gathered around and he gave that sermon on the bread of life and unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood you know, put yourself in those folks shoes who was hearing this stuff wow this is, this is crazy talk is what they're thinking okay in fact, even some of his own disciples heard this and they were saying, Whoa! He's going way beyond what's reasonable. In fact, so much so, according to John 6.59, it says, These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? And then what happened? They booked. They took off. This was too much for them to handle. So as Jesus stood there and watched these folks leave, 12 of them stayed. And so he turns around and he looks at these 12 and he says to them, will you also go away? This is a crucial point in this matter here. But what does Peter say? He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Then Jesus said, Have I not chosen you twelve? Because you guys like me? No. Because of their hearts. Because of their hearts. Before one can become an apostle who's sent out to teach, you have to be a disciple willing to listen and be taught. Do you get that? Right? Before you, uh, before you can go out there, 
You have to be taught. You have to have that spirit that, I want to hear what you have to say. That's that wisdom of being easily entreated. What you are saying to me is sound doctrine. I love it. I want more of it. It's the heart. It's the heart. Exactly. That's exactly a good point. So those who are willing to listen, have a teachable spirit, be obedient to the word taught, guess what? They're going to receive preferential treatment. Is that showing favoritism? No. No, it's not. That's the fruit of being a willing disciple. Number three... Discipleship is preferential treatment based on the kingdom of God values and not worldly values like people try to accuse Jesus of. Like I said, Jesus had a grand plan in mind. A grand plan in mind. God is not a respecter of persons. So when you're telling me that Jesus showed favorites, in essence... That's blasphemy, because that's contrary to God's character. And is not Jesus Christ God? And if Jesus Christ is God, then that means he is not a respecter of persons. He doesn't show favorites. But he does show preferential treatment. Does that kind of make sense? 1 Corinthians uh, 1, 26-29 says... For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God had chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God had chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. You see, God doesn't give two cents if you're pretty or you're a sharp dresser or you're clean shaven or not clean shaven he doesn't give two cents about any of that stuff he doesn't care if you've got a voice of an angel or you croak like a frog what he cares about is what's going on inside because that's where he's looking Remember what Jesus said? Judge righteous judgment, not according to appearance. And that's exactly what God does. That's exactly what God does. You have a love for God and for God's people? Do you treasure his word as though it's, what is it the Bible say, as, as like fine gold from Ophir, I think is the place? Right? Uh, do you aspire to follow Jesus Christ, submit yourself to the word of God, to fulfill the mission of God for the glory of God? If that's your heart, guess what? You're going to get preferential treatment. You're going to get preferential treatment. I'm going to tell you something, guys. This might be a surprise to some of you. But there will be no people in heaven that have the attitude of entitlement. Okay? In case you don't understand what entitlement is, it's that mentality that um, you believe you deserve something, you believe that you deserve some sort of special favor and have absolutely done nothing to deserve it. All right? 
It's that you owe me an attitude. Why? Why do I owe you? Well, just because of me. That's narcissistic, isn't it? Entitlement is a narcissistic personality trait. And I guarantee you there's not going to be any narcissists in heaven. Hell will be full of them. But there won't be any in heaven. They'll be saying, I don't deserve to be here. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Entitlement. Exactly. And also one more thought about this. I believe false charge of favoritism shown by Jesus. Come on, Jeff. Uh, of the multitudes, there were 70. Of the 70, there were 12. Of the 12, there were 3. You know what a lot of people who think this way forget? They forget a very, very important point. They forget who Jesus is, don't they? They forget who Jesus is. Men try to devalue Jesus and make Jesus just like them, but is Jesus just like me or you? I'm glad he's not. Yeah, exactly. I'm glad he's not. I'm glad he's not. He, according to John 2.25, he knows what's inside men. He knows what's going on. He sees your motive. He sees your hidden agendas. He sees what you're really all about and what you hold true and valuable. He sees it. You can't hide that from him. It makes my heart ache sometimes. Proverbs 20.11 says, Even a child is known by his doing, whether his work be pure or whether it be right. You see, being finite creatures, that's really all we have to go on. What somebody says and what somebody does. Yeah, that's superficial, but I can't see in your heart. Can you see in mine? So really, the only thing that you can go by is how I speak and how I live according to how I speak. But God sees past all of those smoke and mirrors, and he sees what you're really all about. Ouch. That's where he determines his choices. That's where he determines his choices. Remember the story of David? His brothers were very impressive. But he tells Samuel, don't look at these guys statured. I look on the heart. That's why David was chosen. That's why David was chosen. Now considering this preferential treatment for a moment... Let's, let's talk about this. These men that uh, they say that Jesus showed favoritism to. All right, this preferential treatment concerning these men. Let's see here. Uh, because of it, they were beaten, imprisoned, maligned, persecuted, tortured, and all but one was martyred. Wow, that's some good preferential treatment right there, isn't it? But that... Preferential treatment is for anybody who loves God. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus will have an easy time. That's not what it says, is it? Yeah, 2 Timothy 3.12. So, next time you start griping about preferential treatment, (laughs) maybe you better think through this preferential treatment. You know, I had, uh, I don't know if I'd tell this story. 
There was a man who got a position in the church. And once he got this position in the church, uh, those that this man knew all of a sudden fell away from him. Because they were jealous. They didn't think the man deserved this position in the church. And that's what I'm saying about preferential treatment. Sometimes what we consider preferential treatment comes with a cost. And are you willing to pay that cost? Make sense? That's what these men did. These men were willing to pay the cost. So the issue of partiality, and I know I've dwelled more on the negative than on the positive. The idea with uh, partiality, when it lends itself to being prejudiced in your treatment of others, uh, when you begin to value others based upon a superficial standard, that's not wise. That's that other wisdom kicking in. That's not wise. And when you do things like that, it will always bring about strife and division and infighting and envyings because that's the way the wisdom from below operates. That's the way it operates. Again, going back to James, this is exactly what happened in in James' example. They made a superficial judgment between these two men. They treated this one guy with, you know, uh, hospitality and they neglected this other guy. They neglected this other guy. What they should have done is they should have treated both the same, especially this, this man who was poor. You know, let's clothe him, let's feed him, let's bind up his wounds. Isn't that the story of the Good Samaritan? That would have been more Christ-like. James later on in James chapter 2 and verse 5 says hearken my beloved brethren what does it mean to hearken pay attention to what I'm saying to you hath not God chosen the poor of this world rich in faith hard attitude and heirs of the kingdom preferential treatment which he hath promised to them that love him right there's the key but ye have despised the poor do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats do they do do not they blaspheme that worthy name by which ye are called if ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself you do well but if you have respect to persons ye commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors notice what James says about partiality about having respect to persons how did he label it sin sin it's not me but the Bible says when you exercise wisdom without partiality you are sinning that's not my opinion. It's, it's going against the royal law of love thy neighbor as thyself. That's like preferring my right hand and despising my left hand. 
I'll trim the nails on my right hand, I'll wash my right hand, I'll lotion my right hand, but as far as the left hand's concerned, I'll never wash it, never trim the nails, never put lotion on it. If it gets a wound, I ignore it and let the wound fester and become infected. Now let me ask you a question, how wise is that? Because eventually this neglected hand will affect what? The whole body. And do you not think that's not true in a family and in a church? It's not wise. It's not wise. Proverbs 18.5 said, It's not good to accept the person of the wicked to overthrow the righteous in judgment. And yet that's exactly the way the wisdom from below it operates. In the world, it's always the rich and beautiful, people of wealth and influence, the people that have political connections and influence that, well, quite frankly, if others did what they did, they'd end up in jail. And are we not seeing that today? On both sides of the political spectrum. Just because you're pro this doesn't mean they're perfect. They're all wicked. I know, that's a judgmental statement. But they're men, and they're women. So the pillar of wisdom without partiality is that you exercise justice and judgment righteously. And those who, can, who do this are considered wise. Proverbs 24-23, these things also belong to the wise. It is not good to have respect of persons in judgment. If you exercise this kind of wisdom without partiality, according to the Bible, you're a wise person. And don't we all want to be wise? Don't we all want to be wise? Proverbs 21-3 says, to do justice and judgment is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. See, God is saying, hey guys, uh, I would much rather see you exercise justice and judgment than bring me all of these fatted calves and these sheep and these goats. What does it mean by justice? It doesn't mean you sue somebody in a court of law. Okay, that's not what the Bible talks about, justice. Justice is the characteristic of using one's strength and one's influence to support and defend the weak the disadvantaged, and those who are wrongfully oppressed. You take their side for justice sake. You take their side for justice sake. Because unfortunately, there are a lot of people out there who need this kind of support and they're not getting it. The idea of judgment in Proverbs 23 refers to the process of making righteous decisions based upon moral law through the exercise of wisdom, discernment, and ultimately exercising one's power of influence to bring about a just outcome. Just like we see in society today. Not. There are people who know how to manipulate the justice system. And those who deserve justice don't get it. And those who don't deserve justice somehow seem to get it. It's messed up. It's all messed up. 
Leviticus 19.15 Ye shall do no unrighteousness in judgment. Thou shalt not respect the person of the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty, but in righteousness shalt thou judge thy neighbor. That's exactly what the church in James did. And this is saying what Jesus said, judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous, judge righteously. I butchered that, I know, but... I like Elihu's comment, he was one of Job's friends, he was the last man to speak. This is what Elihu said, I kind of like this sentiment... Job 32, 21-22, he says, Let me not, I pray you, accept any man's person, neither let me give flattering tie, uh, titles unto man, for I know not to give flattering titles, and so doing my maker would soon take me away. In other words, he was, he was, he was careful to exercise wisdom without partiality. Because he knew that's not a good way to go. And God looks at this stuff. Remember James called it what? Sin. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is found in 1 Peter 3, verses 8 through 11. He says, Finally be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful. Be courteous. Not rendering evil for evil, or railing for railing, but contrariwise blessing, knowing that, that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips, that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good, let him seek peace and ensue it. One thing I have seen about people who show partiality, they do not have a happy, peaceful life. It, there's always drama! I wonder why. I wonder why. As much as possible, treat everyone with kindness and resist showing favorites. Don't form an opinion about somebody simply because about somebody simply because of their appearance. <laughs> I'll give you I'll confess a little personal confession. This is true. This is something I have to I have to deal with. And I don't mean to offend anybody in here, okay? But one of the things that and Diane will test to this, one of the things that, that kind of gets me initially are people who are covered in tattoos. I know, I'm sorry. But what's going on? What am I doing? There you go. All I'm seeing is the tattoo. I'm not considering the person. Now, I know people who are just covered in tattoos and they're the, they're the most wonderful people you ever want to meet. And I know people who don't have any kind of tattoos and they're just crummy people. <laughs> but that's what we do. That's what we do. We judge people according to that surface thing. There was a man on the job, I swear the man looked like a serial killer. <laughs> he really did. I mean, this was one mean looking hombre. One day, my uh, good friend on the job, you know, I mentioned that about this guy, and this good friend on the job, I've mentioned him. He says, Do you know anything about that man, Jeff? I said, No, <laughs> I don't. He said, Well, let me tell you about this man. 
He said, this man has adopted ten orphan children. And he is working like a dog to make sure that those kids get a good life. And he said, also one other thing, Brother Jeff. That man is a brother in Christ. Oops. Right? I love those moments when I feel like I'm two inches high. Because that's when you grow. That's when you grow. The Pharisees were good at this game, forming wrong opinions. Luke 15.1 Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners, for to hear him and the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. Who were they talking about? Jesus Christ. Boy, did they call that one wrong. Didn't they? They call that one wrong. Okay. I've got three minutes for ten minutes of stuff. Okay, let me, let me try to uh, bring this in on a practical level. And uh, turn to First Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4. In verse 1. We're going to go read all the way down to verse 4. Let's bring this into a very practical application. In First Peter chapter 4 and verse 1 it says, For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, he says right here, Arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. Don't miss that. For he that hath suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. For the time, for the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. Sometimes my tongue gets in the way. When we walked in, when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot speaking evil of you. So let's, let's bring this down to today. Today. The rhetoric today in the media screams out malice, reacts with knee-jerk reactions depending upon certain political leanings, They spew out prejudicial tirades, name-calling, accusations of all sorts of racism, anti-Semitism, sexism, chauvinism, anything. Any kind of ism you want to think of, they've thought it up. And they're still thinking things up. All for a particular agenda or reason. On both sides of the spectrum. All of this is emotionally charged rhetoric, often without any reason, and more often than not, just simply driven by pure hatred and partiality. Am I wrong in that assessment? Rather than cool-headed reasoning about issues and differences, all of this stuff seems to fuel hatred and division and strife in our society. 
Where do you think that's coming from? Yeah. Yeah. If you are not of a particular mindset, then you are, what is it, canceled, reviled, and in some cases, silenced. Now here is where the rubber meets the road for you and I who believe the Bible and love Jesus and preach the gospel. It seems to be human nature to prejudge based upon a superficial thing. You guys are already judged simply because you come to a Bible-believing church. John 15, 18 says, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. So don't take it personal. The only reason why the world labels you is because of Jesus. So you're in good company because so did Paul and Peter and everybody else. They were also able. Now the Bible teaches that we're to exercise discernment and we're to choose between righteousness and wickedness. And uh, this Bible discernment that we exercise is often called out for as being prejudice or partial or showing favoritism or being partisans. And because of this, we're also labeled as intolerant and unloving. Is that true? Is that a true assessment? No, it is not. But in their eyes, it is. Our society is turned the way of Isaiah 5 verse 20. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitty. For bitter, not bitty. I knew a bitty, but that's another story. Our society is embracing sin with both arms and hanging on tight. And because of this, they're failing to practice discernments according to the wisdom that is from above, but according to the wisdom that is from below. This is the um, enlightenment of the woke society. Now, as Bible believers, who are we to follow? And what is our standard for righteousness? The Word of God. We are to follow Jesus, and the Word of God is our standard for righteousness. So when we come to the place where we need to exercise discernment, we need to do so without partiality. Without partiality. We must make distinctions between that which is sin and that which is, is righteous, that which is wicked and evil, but that, that is good. Ephesians 5.10, Paul writes, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret, but all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. So the word of God is our standard. Jesus Christ is our model. We are to call sin for what sin is. Don't gloss it over. Don't name it a different name. Call it what it is. And if I'm going to be 
accused of being partial let me be accused of being partial to the word of God versus what this world teaches amen and I'm going to tell you something guys the closer we come to that time when our groom comes to snatch away his bride we're going to need this wisdom more and more don't you think don't you think Holy Father in heaven, we come to you, Lord, and you are the source of all wisdom. For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Father in heaven, we are so grateful that we know Jesus Christ is our Savior. We're so grateful that we have your word to go to, to help us navigate our way through this wicked old world. I pray, Lord God, that you would give us the spiritual backbone and the courage, Father, the determination, the perseverance needed. Oh, that we might glorify your name in obeying your truth and following your Son. In his name we pray. Amen.